Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, February 1st. What is the state of homelessness in Canada and how does Calgary compare nationally? We get the latest stats released earlier this week from Dr. Cheryl Forchuk, Assistant Scientific Director at Lawson Health Research. Flight delays and cancellations have become commonplace over the past few months. What is the hospitality and tourism industry doing to address the issues and make it right for Canadians? We get insight on the topic from Frederick Dimanche, Professor and Director from the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. February is Heart Health Awareness Month. It's time to bring attention to the importance of cardiovascular health. We speak with Dr. Mark Tarnopoloski from Stay Above Nutrition for some tips to keep your ticker in top shape. And finally, to kick off Black History Month, we catch up with Toronto-based spoken word artist Andrea Thompson, who shares some of her poetry with us and her personal history, which includes her great-grandfather's escape from a life of slavery via the Underground Railroad. Well, housing is an essential right for everyone. No one should have to worry about keeping a roof over their heads, but that is a nightly concern for over 1,900 people in Calgary alone. That's according to the Calgary Homeless Foundation. Could those numbers actually be worse than we realize. Dr. Cheryl Forchuk, Assistant Scientific Director at Lawson Health Research Institute, joins us now to help paint a broader picture of homelessness in Canada and, again, specifically here in Calgary. Good morning to you, Dr. Forchuk. Good morning. Well, I know that you take a, you know, a microscopic look at certain areas, but you also look at the big picture. So can you, you paint a broad picture for us here about the state of homelessness in Canada? What was your biggest takeaway? Well, I think several big takeaways. One, that we're talking about a national issue and a national problem. Uh, We went to every province, every territory in the country. We uh, interviewed people in large urban areas such as Calgary, as well as small communities, including um, way up north, uh, in the northern part of the Northwest Territories with a thousand people. Uh, and every place we went, uh, people were experiencing not only issues related to homelessness, but certainly an increase in homelessness. In many cases, started a bit prior to the pandemic with the increased housing prices, but certainly worsening during the pandemic. And doctor, how do the homeless numbers in Calgary compare to other major cities? Um, so what what we're doing, we're, we're trying to calculate the national numbers uh, and so um, and looking at um, a different method of calculating that. So we're still in the process of coming up with the total numbers, uh, but what we did find across the country that uh, there was about just a just under a 16% increase in Calgary uh, from what we saw with our interviews what was consistent with that, with about a 16% increase. Uh, but what that total number is, the numbers you quoted earlier from the Calgary Foundation, um, is, as I say, like that, that would be the most accurate we have had traditionally. But the problem is that it focuses on people who have touched the... Um, uh, the homeless sector in some way, uh, either through accessing shelters um, or that were noted during point-in-time counts. Uh, the problem is a lot of people don't touch the homeless sector, so the approach that we are using is we started with health data uh, and we started with 
uh, using an algorithm on Ontario Health Data, and we're, we're, we're still in the process of pulling in the other provinces and looking at that. Um, but it looks like we, we can find as many as three times uh, more people experiencing homelessness if we look at health data uh, compared to simply looking at uh, the homeless data. And part, part of the reason there uh, is that um, the shelters tend to only exist in the larger centers and the point in time counts, places like Calgary. So what ends up missing is all the surrounding rural areas. All right. Very detailed. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for the update. All right. That's Dr. Cheryl Forchuk, Assistant Scientific Director at Lawson Health Research Institute. Find out more about what they do at LawsonResearch.ca. Intense weather systems, crew shortages, and many other issues popped up for the transportation sector during its busiest time of the year. So what is Canada's transportation industry going to do to address these issues? Joining us to discuss is Professor Frederick Demanche, Director of the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at the University of Toronto. Good morning to you, Frederick. Good morning. So again, as I introduced you there, mentioned many of the issues. What do you consider the biggest issue? Can we put our thumb on one, or is it a combination of all of them that caused this mayhem? I think it's definitely a combination of several factors. However, if there was only one factor that would put forward, I would talk about communication. I think what is really frustrating the travelers uh, those who are losing luggage, those who are missing flights, those who are waiting uh, for a connecting flight. It's the lack of information they receive from airports and from airlines. So uh, I think this lack of transparency is aggravating the situation. It's getting people to be really frustrated. But of course, it's not the only factor. Uh, there's been a labor issue going on for you know a long time, not just since the pandemic, but actually since before then. We know that uh, airports, airlines, uh, security staff, uh, immigration staff, all of them have been short-staffed. And uh, as a result of this, you know, there have been some, some difficulties. We, we know that labor is a big issue. And then the third main issue, I would say, is about um, what we call disruption management. Uh, when you have a weather system that is re- disrupting your operations, you need to find a travel technology to manage that problem. And, and those uh, travel technology solutions exist, uh, but they help you bring together your planes, bring together your crews, bring together your passengers, bring together the luggage, find them and, and find the solutions, the most efficient solution to get everybody going again. And, and that may be what we are missing in terms of operations management. We don't have those systems up to date, I'm afraid. Uh, Professor, this all came to a head at Christmas, as Andy alluded to, the busiest time of the year. But it it wasn't just a surprise thing that it happened. This has kind of been coming in in fits and starts up until that point, wasn't it? Absolutely. In fact, we experienced similar problem, remember, last summer. Uh, there were fears last summer of travel chaos, and we actually had that. Remember what Toronto Person Airport was named the worst airport for cancellations and delays in the world? That was in July or in August, if I remember well. So um, uh, Minister Algabra, the Minister of Transportation Algabra, said that uh, you know things were going to be fixed, and uh, he was hopeful that uh, the situation would be good for Christmas. And, and we realized 
is that, uh, you know, there are still some weaknesses. You know, we are not ready to face disruption. The weather, of course, the weather system is not something that, that uh, anybody can, can expect or, or work with, of course. But, um, you know, when you live in Canada, you have to expect bad weather. You have to expect that there will be some snowstorms, etc. So we are hoping that the 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 operators and and i don't want to put all the blames on the airlines you know it's also the airports it's also all the maintenance people who who contribute to the travel experience uh all of this system have to be um, much more efficient we're speaking with frederick dimanche a professor and director ted rogers school of hospitality and tourism management at toronto metropolitan university and professor uh, i'm wondering if this is an issue in other countries and, and if it is is it uh, to the same level that we're seeing issues in canada well we've seen similar problems in some other countries remember during the pandemic you know there were some issues in in major airports specifically uh, London was hit, Amsterdam was hit, and more recently with a storm uh, over the Christmas holidays, you may remember that uh, the United States were affected as well. And one airline in particular in the U.S., Southwest, um, was very much uh, affected and disrupted by, uh, by, by the problem. And, and again, it really was in part because of a travel management solution. We have technology to, to manage all this disruption, and, and some of the airlines are not as up-to-date as they should be possibly with the tools they need to have to manage the disruption. Professor, Canadians heard a lot of I'm sorry's from the airlines, but, you know, what really needs to happen next, particularly when it comes to the lost luggage issue? That was just ridiculous. Yes, it was. And when I hear stories about people who are not able to recover their luggage after, you know, months, literally three, four months, uh, luggage that have been lost, that's not acceptable. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly we, we need to do something better. Once again, uh, technology should help us. You know, air tags, uh, there are tags, you know, for bags that should help the airlines, you know, trace them. And, and then it's just a matter of finding them and bringing them back to, to the owners. So I, I think that there's a lot of issues that, that need to be addressed, and, and uh, uh, there are some regulations already in place in Canada. However, uh, they may not be enforced. Uh, if, if you look at, at the uh, Passenger Protect, Protection Act, uh, there are a number of things that, that uh, needs to, to, to be done or that should be done with respect to airports and airlines to, to manage the customer experience and to help them in case of lost luggages or delayed flights, etc., etc. The problem is uh, those uh, um, guidelines are not always followed by, uh, by the airlines. And, and that, I think, what we need to do in Canada. We need to find an opportunity to, or, or to, to, to put more pressure on the air transportation system as a whole and the airline in particular, because they are the one uh, that the customers are paying for transportation, right? So, um, you know, we, we need to make everybody more accountable, especially the airlines. Frederick, your specialty is hospitality and tourism management. I'm not sure if that includes a crystal ball, <laughs> but I'm wondering, where can you see uh, how far down the line till things get back to normal or, or, or pre-pandemic as far as what we expect from travel and the convenience? That's, that's as you said, I don't have a crystal ball, um, and, and I don't know. I know in terms of uh, traffic, passenger traffic, 
Um, you know, 2022 has been pretty good. It's not yet up to 2020, uh, 2019 levels, but it's been pretty good. People are traveling again. And, and if you consider that, um, you know, two major countries, you know, were not traveling at all in 2022, I'm talking about Russia and China. Uh, overall, worldwide, you know, uh, tourism came back and travel came back in, in force. Um, now the, the disruption will continue until we really face uh, the labor shortage. Uh, this is something that is really affecting the industry, not just in terms of transportation, but as you know, it, it affects restaurants, it affects hotels as well. And uh, of course, the operators are able to work and to serve the customers, but they maybe not at the level of service that customers are expecting to have. So that remains a major issue, and I think it will take I don't want to be pessimistic about this, but uh, it's not something that's, um, you know, we're not going to find a solution for this in the next uh, few months. It, it's going to take a long time. Thank you so much for joining the conversation this morning. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. Have a good day. Thanks you too. Frederick Demange, Professor and Director, Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Toronto Metropolitan University. Health Canada reporting 2.4 million Canadians are affected by heart disease. In fact, it's the second leading cause of death among adult Canadians right behind cancer. Joining us to talk about heart health on Heart Health Month is Dr. Mark Tarnopolowski, is an award-winning physician, scientist, and neuromuscular uh, specialist and the founder of Stay Above Nutrition. Good morning to you, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So heart disease, second leading cause of death in this country, is that specific to men, women, just overall? What do we see more of and, and why? Yeah, we, this uh, disorder affects both men and women, and there's three main types, the most common of which is where there's essentially hardening of the arteries called atherosclerotic heart disease, which leads to what most people know of as a heart attack. But there can also, also be rhythm problems where the beats are just out of sync and finally, the third type, which is a bit more rare, is where there's an enlargement of the heart. But all of them ultimately lead to decreased pumping of the heart. And if you don't pump the blood out, uh, then you have uh, essentially heart failure, which can lead to death. And uh, it is affecting men and women uh, fairly equally. It presents, however, a little bit differently sometimes in women than the classic symptoms we see in men. Doctor, you did a good job describing the types. We want to get to redu- reducing or reduction of risk when it comes to heart disease. But uh, off the off the hop here, I'm wondering, are people uh, predisposed? Do genetics play a role in heart disease? Definitely. There are um, likely a number of genes which influence uh, a greater or lesser risk. But some of those other disorders like the arrhythmias and the cardiomyopathy, which is the enlargement, tend to have a much stronger genetic link. Um, And this is more what we see in the clinic as a a neurogenetic specialist. Uh, But there uh, definitely are lifestyle factors which have a huge impact on the most common form, which is the atherosclerotic form. And many of these are uh, treatable. And, you know, it'd be great to get into uh, some of the ways that we can help to protect ourselves. Let's do that, doctor, because I know, you know, with some of them, you don't know that you are even at risk. But in order to reduce any kind of risk, what can we do? I think the first thing is to make sure that you're seeing your doctor on a regular basis because some things are silent. So, for example, high blood pressure is a common cause of heart disease, and that really is silent unless it's very severe. So getting a blood pressure check with your family doctor once a year is the first step. Along those lines, you also would be getting a diabetes test because type 2 diabetes, which is quite common as we age, uh, will cause this hardening of the arteries and can lead to heart disease. And both of those can be checked with your doctor. The final uh, blood test that needs to be done uh, is high cholesterol. 
And sometimes uh, people even in their 20s uh, can have high cholesterol and rarely with genetic disease even earlier. And that is very treatable. There's a variety of uh, lifestyle interventions that can help and very good medications if the cholesterol is too high. As treatments are also available, very good treatments for high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes. And those are really the, the, I think that's the first step. Uh, but of course, avoiding things like smoking, which we know is a huge increased risk for heart disease, uh, and lifestyle changes like exercise, we know that that's uh, very protective, and uh, optimal nutrition is very important. When we talk about that exercise portion and we talk about diet, how much are we are we talking about here? Are, are we asking people to you know, sign up for that half marathon, or how much exercise might be able to make a difference to our heart health? I'm a big fan of anything is better than nothing, but... Uh, clearly, uh, there are really uh, top uh, societies um, in Canada. We have the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology uh, that has put forth guidelines for endurance and resistance type exercise. It tends to be more the endurance and even some higher intensity pulses of exercise which protect us against cardiovascular disease. Um, and to a first approximation, we generally try to get people exercising three times a week for 30 minutes or more at sort of moderate intensity where you're starting to find it a little difficult uh, to maintain a conversation. Um, a little bit more uh, and even, you know, um, exercising every day for an hour will even further reduce your risk. Um, and there's a few crazy athletes, uh, some of my buddies in Calgary or some of these folks who exercise too much, and that can have a slightly greater risk of some arrhythmia issues, but not the main part, which is the cardiovascular disease, which, uh, you know, is the most common thing that we see in society. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for all the great reminders. Appreciate it on this uh, Heart Health Month, beginning of the month, and uh, something to think about for the next, well, month, but well beyond that as well. Thanks for your time. Definitely, thanks. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Dr. Mark Tarnopolowski, who's an award-winning physician, scientist, and neuromuscular specialist, and the founder of Stay Above Nutrition, stayabovenutrition.ca. Born in bondage, beaten till brain damaged. I am in awe of your indomitable spirit. You are a wonder of impossibility. A woman named Moses, cursed by narcolepsy, yet determined like your namesake to set your people free. It wasn't enough that Today she Today is the start of Black History Month, and to share her story with us is award-winning writer, editor, spoken word artist, and poetry teacher at the University of Toronto, Andrea Thompson. Hi, Andy. Hi, Sue. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. That is a piece of it. You just released a beautiful spoken word album. Tell us yeah. about why Black History Month is so important to you. Well, you know, I'll get personal. Um, so for me, when I was growing up, I my family came up on the Underground Railroad, escaped slavery, and uh, settled in southern Ontario, where there were a lot of communities, a lot of black communities started there, and their ancestors came up the same way. And when I was a kid, we would go down for the um, family reunion every summer, and it wasn't until I was a teenager that I was suddenly struck with the question, hey, how come, because we used to call it going down to the country, and it's like, how come all the people in the country are black? What's that about? And, you know, so I started asking questions, started learning about this history, and I was a teenager, and I had never heard about it in school. Um, and then fast forward, I was in university, and I was studying black history at, you know, on a university level, and I was taught that the Underground Railroad was a myth, that it never actually happened. And so as an adult, I realized, you know, there's a lot of um, really important Canadian history that is just not known. 
So I thought, you know, why not use um, an opportunity um, and my 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 creative uh, output to help bring awareness to that and celebrate it. You mentioned that there's still a lot not known, Andrea, and you yeah. mentioned your experience from a teen to adulthood. Have have yeah. we made strides when it comes to recognizing Black history in Canada during that time period? Are we at least moving in the right direction? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. There's been so many changes um, and so much um, awareness of um, you know and appreciation of the Black community in Canada. Uh, but you know, still now I find I'll meet people and. Um, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody and they'll be like, oh, so, you know, um, where in the Caribbean are you from? Where in, you know, in Africa are you from? And they'll be um, just not, uh, and when I'll explain where my ancestors came from, there'll be a, a sense of surprise. So I think that it still isn't really common knowledge. It's definitely getting better in terms of awareness of our own history here in Canada. But I think we still have a ways to go. It's a sad day in the United States today with the family of Tyree Nichols holding a funeral for him this morning after he died, you know, following a brutal beating by police in Memphis. But is it maybe... A, a, a day that's important that it falls on the start of Black History Month as well because it brings more attention to the issue and, and the ability to speak up about the stories. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think over the last few years, especially since uh, George Floyd, um, you know, I had, I had for a lot of um, Black people, there was a, a really profound moment there where people around us who didn't share our background were suddenly aware of how uh, how racism can affect somebody on a really personal level. And I think, you know, that these things come into fashion. There's so much going on. Our, our society moves so quickly and things kind of cycle in and out of the news that, um, you know, to keep building awareness of um, traditionally marginalized communities is something that is an ongoing process. And, um, you know, I think any opportunity that we have to really develop a sense of, of um, awareness and compassion towards the suffering of other people in our community is, um, is a good thing. I want to get back to, to you, Andrea, and what you do, because, yes, uh-huh. you're using your art form to, to make a difference. But in general, like to get to the point where you're releasing albums, to get to the point oh. where you're, you're, you're reaching for change with your art... Did you always know you'd be doing poetry? Did you always know that this would be something you would carry with yourself into adulthood? Yes, I did. <laughs> From when I was a kid, I just, I always, I, I loved poetry. My grandmother, I grew up, my grandmother um, would just recite poems off the top of her head, just kind of to explain a point. So I grew up listening to poetry in, in the home. I was raised by my grandparents. Um, and I always knew I wanted to be a, a poet, and that was, you know, much to the dismay, I think, of <laughs> my family <laughs> at the time. They've gotten used to it, but it's been a lifelong uh, passion and, you know, has developed into um, the point where I'm an elder in the scene and I'm a mentor. And, um, you know, I love, I've got the first, I think it's definitely, I'm working out of uh, University of Toronto Mississauga campus, and it's the first spoken word course they've had and it's maybe the first at U of T altogether definitely one of the first so um, it's a real kind of milestone that 
this oral art form is being studied at the university level. And for me personally, I love having the opportunity to inspire young people to make their voice, you know, to help them realize that their voices matter. Mm-hmm. How, however you get that message across, right? Uh, you know, I hear it all the time. We're lucky because we're not in the U.S. We don't live in the States. We live in Canada. But as uh-huh. a black woman in Canada, do you still hear stories you know, like what we hear from the United States? I know it's not to the degree, obviously, but there there are still a lot of issues in this country, are there not? Oh, yeah, definitely, you know, and, and they're, they're everyday experiences, you know. Um, I have, you know, I've had experiences with, for myself, being, you know, followed in stores, being... Um, you know, treated as as less than in ways that are, you know, what they call like microaggressions or subtle to ways that are, you know, more blatant and overt and, um, you know, being assumed that I'm I'm a nanny, for instance, if I'm with um, a member of my family, like a white member of my family, being assumed that I'm the nanny. Which is, you know, like it's um, that kind of thing. It's like there's a generational sense of self-esteem that needs to be rebuilt, but also on a personal level, it affects you. It affects you when you know that there are people who think less of you just by looking at you. So it's something you have to grapple with, I think. Andrea, you've got some great work out there. And again, you continue to work to make a difference and uh, express yourself. Where can we hear your work? Where can we, we pick some of it up or experience it? Oh, well, um, you can go to my, my website, which is andreathompson.ca. I've got some samples up there if you want to check out the album. Um, I've got a page dedicated to The Good Word. Um, I've released it on Bandcamp today, so that's a great, great way, especially if you want to support the art. It's a great way to buy digital copies of the album and support me um, throughout the month. The album is going to be dropping on Apple Music and Spotify and all the streaming sources. So that's in the works. But as of today, it's um, samples available on my website and full album available for download on Bandcamp. And you can find the link to that on my website as well. AndreaThompson.ca. Thanks, Andy. Thanks so much for joining us. That's my pleasure, Sue. Good to talk to you. Good to speak to you too, Andy. Thank you. Take care. Andrea Thompson, award-winning writer, editor, spoken word artist.